Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. Michael, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope our audience had a wonderful Thanksgiving because all of those wonderful Thanksgivings did not come close to how good the Predators Thanksgiving weekend was. As we discussed last week on the show, were those two wins? Did the come from behind figure out a way to win game against Colorado in epic, historic, and, and, and utter ridiculous fashion? Is it going to lead to some sort of season-defining moment? Does it lead to the team learning how to figure out a way to win games? The answer in the short term, Michael Gallagher, is absolutely. They have now won six consecutive games after an overtime winner over Pittsburgh on Tuesday evening. Uh, we've got a lot to discuss. A lot of players to discuss here, Michael, because I think when you look at specific names, offense, defense, goaltending, uh, all guys that we need to discuss trending in the right direction. The system itself, is it finally taking root? What does that mean? There are certainly some interesting uh, lineup decisions that uh, Andrew Burnett is going to have to make. Uh, obviously, getting some healthy guys back on defense has certainly helped the penalty kill and UC Soros, who was your third star of the week. There also is going to be some interesting offensive decisions he's going to have to make as well. Before we do any of that, however, and of course, always, make sure you check out Nashville Hockey Now. Uh, that's the website that Michael does some writing for, so go check it out. Uh, uh, you always find good stuff over there. Uh, he, here's, you guys know the drill. I think Michael does too. Before we do any of that, the gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. <laughs> yeah, no adjectives is. this week. Just Jaspers. No, no adjectives. <laughs> Look, you, your, um, your, your offensive pace of ad read is the same first period offensive pace as the Nashville Predators. Attack, 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 attack. I think as the St. Louis Blues says, uh, players, some of the one of the players said after the game, they were all over us. We had no answers. <laughs> That's a good quote. If you're an opposing coach, uh, a la Mr. Brunette, we do have a couple of notes, uh, names that are very near and dear to you, Nashville Predators fans, hearts that are out there in the NHL making some headlines. So the point here, though, we'll get started right away. Six game winning streak, four to two wins since we last talked, four to two win over Calgary. Uh, UC Saros, of course, was the goaltender in that one. They Stopped all four power play opportunities for the Flames. They win 4-2. 8-3 destruction of the Blues on the road. They score four in the first, three in the second. Ryan O'Reilly scores in his return to his former championship team. Uh, and, of course, Kevin Lakenden gets the start there, and they win that one, 8-3. Then they beat Winnipeg, holding on for dear life in the third period, 3-2, with UC Saros again playing very well. And then the overtime game winner, controversial, Michael, against Pittsburgh. Three to two, the overtime winner there uh, with Philip Forsberg going coast to coast. And of course, not not getting the penalty call that the Penguins wanted at the end of the game. Uh, so let's start with how angry the Predators. Oh, Pen no, that's so terrible. Before we discuss any actual hockey stuff, like important actual things, like, I don't know, the development of Philip Tomasino or Gus Nyquist playing a critical role or, you know, all these important things. Michael McCarron, offensive threat. <laughs> Yakov Trenin, scoring machine. What, what, before we get to any of this stuff, I, let's get to the most important discussion point we can have the entire week. How much fun are Predators fans having with Penguins fans being angry on the internet? Oh, I think they're they're eating it up, and as they should be. But of course, just like I, I had someone in my mentions last night 
bring up and it was wasn't even related i, I tweeted out <laughs> a video of luke evangelista knocking evgeny malkin on his ass in his nhl debut the last time the predators hosted the penguins just throwing it out there for fun and of course, my boss with National Hockey Now, Dan, is a Pittsburgh writer, and he retweeted. <laughs> so I had some Pittsburgh people chirping at me, and there, they, someone eventually, one thing led to another, and someone brought up uh, the Penguins and their cups. And I was like, "Be careful! You're starting to sound like a Blackhawks fan because that's that's initially where all these fans <laughs> go. That's what it led to. Penguins fans were angry. They were salty. Predators fans were basking in the glory of of their misery for for a minute or two, and then." It's just it's just been it's been the sewer all all morning. There's Penguins fans that are angry, Predators fans that are happy. They're going back and forth <laughs> at each other, and eventually, it all all roads lead to. But how many cups do you have? So that's where. <laughs> uh, look at the and if that's where the end of, uh, argument ends, uh, I guess you just have to shut up and take it at that point. But it has nothing to do with the fact that Philip Forsberg scored a game winning goal 16 seconds into overtime. Mike Sullivan, Penguins uh, coach, was asked after the game, "Quote: Did did you get a look at it? Are you surprised there wasn't a call?" He said, "Yes and yes." The follow-up from the media was, did you get an explanation? Coach Sullivan, no. <laughs> it's a game-changing moment, right? It's just, it is what it is. Now, look, I this is a regular season game in November, so chill, everyone on both sides, chill out. We're talking but about do, game 21 of 82. Yeah, but I do find it funny that we had those two very weird, bizarre moments, and I while I agree that the whistle was early on the Colton Sissons goal in game six, half a decade ago <laughs> um actually more than that right i you know i think reasonable minds can disagree on philip forsberg skate being offsides or not in game one that i i certainly i was on the air at that time i i came in the next morning and i said guys we can spend all morning debating this but it, it's not the reason the predators lost the first game um so i this one you could actually argue if you're a Pens penguins fan but it's it's a november hockey game and uh i just think it's great that these little these little things keep popping up in the Penguins Predators history. And I think that makes for that makes for good hockey fandom and good hockey rivalries. So it does. It makes for some interesting engagement on Twitter. I, I will disagree <laughs> with you. I, I don't think Penguins fans have a right to be complaining like they do. Look, and, and if you go to my, my Twitter page. At oh, MG I don't think it was a penalty, score. by the way. I don't think it was a penalty, by the way. That's not what I'm that's not what I meant. Oh, OK. I thought I misunderstood. I thought you said they had a right to be upset about this. Sorry. If I said that, I stand. I, I, I pod corrected. I'm sorry. But if you go to my, my Twitter account on my on my page there, I have a video in slow-mo showing it. And look, I was there. I watched this play happen right in front of my eyes. It was not it was not interference. If you if you go down and you watch the replay, and there's 10 or 20 different camera angles to go watch it on. I don't know who the Penguins player was closest to O'Reilly, but O'Reilly is trying to stay on side as Forsberg is, is skating through the neutral zone with the puck. As that's happening, his stick is being pulled away from him. And when he collides with Sidney Crosby at the blue line, he's not even looking at him. If anything, it was it was a it was a penalty on the Penguins for crying out loud. And this isn't because I'm a Preds writer and I'm sticking up for my team as I've been accused for. And like, there's Penguins fans calling me a homer and be like, "Oh, you're defending." Like, I, I don't care if the fucking Predators win or lose; it, do, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> but I, I hate it when people are clearly wrong and they are still dying on a hill as if they are right. Go back, watch the video. It was not interference. I'm off my soapbox. No, good. Well done. I guess what I, I'm, maybe I meant to say what, what I would, what I, now I'm like verklempt here. What I meant to say and what I normally mean to say about all these calls is that if it's a 50 50 call, I understand why a fan base would be like, oh, that was a 50 50 call. Cause like every single fan base on, in every sport blames the officials for everything. 
Like if this was in the playoffs, it would need. also be a different story. But we're talking about game 21 of the regular season. It doesn't right. matter the scheme of things. There would have been two other Penguins defensemen uh, in the play <laughs> because there would have been four more players on the ice for both teams uh, had it been a playoff game. Uh, I, I Ultimately, do I think the call was right? Yeah, I think the call was right. Um, I think it's more important that Forsberg finished the job because, and this is, and we'll get to many things today, the most of which will be very, very positive on the show. This is a six-game winning streak. They are above 500 for the first time the entire season. They are in the wild card spot right now. They are absolutely playing the best hockey. And most importantly, they responded to the worst stretch of hockey that they had played all season with their best stretch of hockey, which is a sign of maturity, a sign of growth, and a sign that the coaching staff system is starting to fall into place. Uh, I I think that they still have some third period things they need to work through in this fourth in this four um, four game winning streak. They are eight eight and eight goals in the first period against two, so they are still great in the first period. They outscore their opponents in the first period the entire season. That is the to me that is Andrew Burnett's attacking style coming out of the gate hard and fast at opponents every single game. That's that's a really positive step. You know, Winnipeg scored two goals in the third period to cut it to one. They held on. Pittsburgh scored two goals late in that game to tie it up and send it to overtime. And then the Predators figured out a way, penalty or otherwise, doesn't matter, figured out a way to score a goal and win the game and get the two points. So I still think they're working through keeping the pace up for an entire 60, I think is maybe ultimately what we're getting at here. But their start, like they finished the game against Colorado, they held on against Winnipeg, and they came back and won the game, not not from behind against Pittsburgh, but you know what I mean, right? Like they... Yeah, they gave up the lead and then they came back because they've been giving up leads all season. And during this stretch, they have still found ways to win. So while it's not perfect, even the six game winning streak, you can find flaws. I, I still th- though that is an imp- to me, it's all about growth and development. And that is a, a really positive step, uh, not just the points, not just the, the winning record and young player like it is really important that the system is taking root and that they're learning how to win games in the third period. Yeah, and I feel like the first 15 games of the season, it almost felt like if they were up a goal and they gave up a tying goal, it was almost as if they just gave up two goals in one because that's just kind of how these games go. Now, they give up a tying goal. We saw last night against Pittsburgh. Now there's not this like, oh my God, this fear, trepidation creeping in like, oh, they're going to give up another goal soon. Like they, they have found ways to win in the third period. They have found ways to hold on to leads. They're playing with more confidence. And I think that's something... Um, that we we touched on a little bit, but we didn't directly come right out and say like Andrew Burnett's system is exhausting to play. It's a lot of speed. It's a lot of puck movement. It's a lot of creating space. It's a lot of everything. And we we talked about like how difficult it was on UC Saros to try to adjust to a new style of play. And that was kind of overlooked because it's like they're playing this run and gut offensive system. But this is an exhausting way to play. And I think the first 15 games, they probably didn't have the strength and endurance, the stamina to, to kind of play that way for a full 60 minutes. I'm not saying they, they're at that level now, but we've seen more evidence over the last six games that they're getting there and that the results can be positive once they do that. And I think something else to point out too is, is the goal scoring. Like the goal scoring has just come out of nowhere. We're talking about six games ago, the Predators were 21st in the NHL in goals four per game. Now they're 11th. That's, that's a crazy, that's a 10 point jump in goals four per game. They, they went from averaging, I think it was around right around three goals somewhere in there to averaging 4.3 goals over the last six games. Whatever Andrew Burnett's doing, whatever buttons he's pressing, whatever lineup cards he's tossing up in the air and picking up, like it's all working. And I, I don't think it's sustainable. I, 
maybe another game or two, but I, I don't think that you're going to see the Predators go on this, you know, 10, 12 game win right. streak and stuff. But what, how do they respond when the win streak ends? That's what I'm curious to see if they respond the way they do when they snap the four game losing streak yep. or is, are the wheels just going to fall off? No, I, I think, I think response, you know, we've talked a lot about the roller coaster ride this season could be, and this is absolutely what we've seen so far. And, and it's not necessarily how long does this good one last? I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's going to end at some point. They're going to lose a few games. And the question is, how do they respond in that moment to that situation? Philip Forsberg, and to your point on the system, Philip Forsberg, by the way, 12 goals, 27 points, way more than a point per game on pace for like 46 goals and almost 100 points this season. I think certainly you could argue that Andrew Burnett's system has unlocked him and his skills, and he's playing freer and faster. Helps to be playing with a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, who's also having on track to have a career year. Uh, what's interesting, though, and about, Nyquist with a nine-game point streak. Yeah, Nyquist. I was going to ask. I was going to. I've got him written down over here. Gus Nyquist, nine point nine-game point streak. Uh, Forsberg scored eleven goals in November. Still could add. I think uh, another one is no, uh, on Thursday. And what's interesting is, I I, I think he's. I, th- I want to say he's one goal away from being in the top nine in the NHL. I'm just not sure a Nashville Predator has ever been anywhere near the top 10 in in like the history of the franchise in goals scored. Unless I'm totally wrong. I, maybe I need to go back and check where Duchesne finished. But like top 10 goal scoring. Like the leader right now in points has uh, got 37 points. So Forsberg's still 10 points behind the leader in points right now. But like I can't remember a guy being this close to the top 10 in goal scoring. Again, maybe I'm wrong on that. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to see any kind of predator near the near the top ten in any kind of offensive category. Um, I'm trying to look. Oh, so, I'll do it too. <laughs> so the year that uh, Roman Yossi should have won the Norris Trophy, but they gave it to Kale McCarr, he was 11th in scoring in, in, so in total points. Was, yeah, in total points. So he was right on the outside. Uh, Matt Duchesne finished eighth that year with 43 goals. Okay, all right. So there you Forsberg go. finished 11th. So that out of that one year that has seemed like an outlier and and all the the franchise's lore, that that one year, notwithstanding, like rarely do Predators players get close to being in the top 10 of any offensive category. So the fact that Forsberg is having a career year, I think I don't know what the exact numbers were, but I think Robbie Stanley tweeted out he's on pace for like a 47 goal, 102 point season, which would be crazy. The first 100-point season in franchise history would be kind of amazing to watch it unfold. Um, and I, I think if you're a Predators fan, like this is this, it's exciting. You're on a six-game win streak. Forsberg scoring goals left and right. Yakov Trenin scoring goals in bunches. Michael McCarron's scoring goals and getting into fights. Saros is finally settling into a group. <laughs> like there's all the things that you were worried about two weeks ago have all just kind of subsided right now. And this is this is what I think you can look forward to. Once Andrew Burnett firmly gets a grasp on the team, once we kind of know the roster stuff, it all shakes out because there's still there's still roster decisions to be made. They sent Spencer Stassi down. We we don't know. It just seems like Dante Fabro's kind of been the odd man out. They played with seven defensemen for the last two games, which is kind of an odd strategy. Liam Foodie isn't getting into the lineup. Is he going to be on, on waivers? There's there's still a lot of things for them to hash out roster wise. C- Cody Glass is back on IR, of course. Tommy Novak yeah. still still on IR. Um, and we kind of said this, and there, so there's a lot there. I want to stay. They still have a, a spot on the active roster too that they can fill. I right. wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they call up a Dennis Gurianov or an Igor Afanasyev at some point. Well, and I think what's interesting, back to your question, you know, your point about the system being so fast paced and 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 fun to play. Certainly, a lot of the players are talking about 
how much fun it is to play in the system. I think you can certainly see that with with Forsberg's production and some production from some of the other guys. Certainly, I think Novak. It's the biggest thing I've taken away from the locker room is they've all said one how much fun it's been, and two just like the morale boost. Not even the fact that they're going up in the standings or that they're winning games. The fact that the morale has went up because they're they're seeing like basically they're they're basically buying into Andrew Burnett's system right before our eyes. They're seeing that the results yeah. are there. It's working. And, and and again, it's not sustainable. Six game winning streaks are not; they're a part of every season. It, they may happen a couple of times, but you're you're not going to, you know, this is not going to be the norm. All of a sudden, they they play, you know, six two and one hockey or six two and two hockey every every ten games. That's not that's not a thing that's going to happen here. But you can enjoy what you see, and you can see the growth and the maturity, which is finishing in the third period. I think the biggest factor here, not only is it is it to your point, the the, the system taking root right before our eyes. It is not a coincidence that Ryan McDonough back in the lineup has scored a point, I believe, in four of the five games or three of the four games that he's been back. He had two assists in his first game back. Luke Shen has now been back for a couple of games. Yes, Stasny's been sent back down and Fabro's been healthy scratch, but it's not. They are three. They've given up three power play goals in their last 21 tries. Uh, over those over the last eight games, that's 18 penalty kills. The penalty kill has gotten significantly better. The defense has gotten significantly better. And UC Soros is playing the best hockey of of his career, like or of his of his season. Third star of the week in the NHL, three wins. It is not a coincidence that all those things are happening at the same time. So it's not just 26 goals in six games and the offense and taking form and settling into a system. It also helps when you get your number one defense pairing back and Luke Shen back to some degree and your goaltending starts playing better and all of a sudden the penalty kills better and all of a sudden you're 16th in, in goals against instead of, you know, 28th. It, that that absolutely has played a factor here. Yeah, and I mean, look, granted, they were they were out for two different periods of time. Luke Shen was out for, I believe it was 18 games and Ryan McDonough was out for four or five, but they come back and Ryan McDonough in his first game back after sitting out for over a week 21 and a half minutes of ice time. Luke Shen, I believe he got like eight minutes of ice time. So I, I think that's that's something that you see. I think what Predators fans kind of saw, excuse me, 12 minutes of ice time. What I think Predators fans kind of saw was the difference of of how good this team can be and, and how much better the defense is with Ryan McDonough in the lineup than without. And I think he kind of got taken for granted a little bit. We touched on it, you know, several times over the last couple episodes that, you know, over the, the offseason, there were some fans that were like, get rid of McDonough, get rid of his contract. I think we've seen I, I hate using this this cliche, but he's kind of the glue that holds the Predators defense together. Like he he outside of Roman Yossi, he's the most important defenseman on this blue line. He's your best penalty killer. He's your most important penalty killer. Like Carrier and Lozon did an OK job on the penalty kill while he was gone, but they were, you, there's, they're not even on Ryan McDonough's level on the PK. And it, I think just all the things that he does right, chipping in points, being in the right spot, everything he brings, it, it just we we saw for that four or five game stretch how important he really is. And I, I think you're right. It's not a coincidence, coincidence. He's back in the lineup and suddenly everything's just clicking. Yeah, they've won four straight since he's been back in the lineup. So I, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Uh, and again, you just want to see that stuff continuing to get better. The penalty kill still has a long way to go, still among the bottom of the bottom third of the league. Uh, but to your point, uh, they are now 12th, I believe, in goals for uh, one of the top third highest scoring teams. I, I think I wonder how sustainable that part is. And that's what I want to ask you about here before we get to that. However, uh, Jaspers, go to Jaspers. Uh, great, uh, excellent family establishment. The next evolution of the sports bar over there on West and free parking. I'll tell you more about the specials in just a second. But 
Uh, like Yakov Trenin, we told you for the first couple of episodes, first couple of weeks of the season, like he was getting shots. He was on the puck in the offensive zone. They weren't going in. Well, now they are. If you are on the puck in the offensive zone, you and you're shooting the puck, you are going to get opportunities to score. And now he's scored a, a bunch of, he's got four goals on the season. He, he's had a couple of critical situations. My boy, four Luke, goals in his last seven games. My boy, Luke Evangelista, a couple of goals. Uh, I still think is one of the, I think you want to say he's like sixth on the team in scoring, but he only was scratched for that one game. So uh, back in the lineup there and Philip Tomasino. Well, you know, I don't think fans should be expecting him to be a a, a top flight point creator. I I think the most important step for him is what you're seeing right now, which is the game appears to be slowing down for him. And it doesn't mean he doesn't have a long way to go, but the game slowing down is one of the most important things you could see from Philip Tomasino. Yeah, and I uh, am I this new thing we're trying on Nashville Hockey now the the plus and minuses uh, story for from each game. Fans don't really like traditional game recaps, so this is a way to kind of give you some analysis and do a little bit of recapping the game, uh, listing off two or three good things and bad things from each game. And Philip Tomasino was one of the pluses from last night's game. He would I like he was out there doing the most, man. Like there was there was one shift where. I think he knocked a puck down and kept it in the zone. He fired off a shot and then drew a penalty all within like 30 seconds. Like he's out there taking shots. He's creating chances on McCarron's second goal. The one where he flew in the air and did all that crazy stuff. Like Tomasino's <laughs> initial shot is the one that set that up and got the puck close to the net for, for McCarron to go and get like, if, if, if you're a Preds fan, you have to be excited with what's going on with Philip Tomasino. And I know it was touch and go there. He was a healthy scratch in seven, eight games and you're, you're getting frustrated the Ellie Tolbin flashbacks are coming back. And then Barry Trotz <laughs> comes out on the radio and he's like, trust us. We know what we're doing, basically. And then Andrew Burnett reiterates the same thing, like, trust us. We know what we're doing. And I reported on Nashville Hockey Now that they were where they were, what they were trying to do with Tomasino is, is send him a message while also not trying to rattle his confidence. And I think that's exactly what they did. They said, look, you want to play. You're going to have to make the most of your minutes. He was a healthy scratch for one or two games. He would get in there and he would play okay. He was a healthy scratch for another two games. Now you're seeing the last six games. He's going out there. He's creating shots. He's creating space. He's doing everything he needs to offensively outside of scoring goals, which you would like to see a little bit more of. But the the chemistry he and Michael McCarron have, like keep those two together for as long as they keep playing as well as they have been. Like whoever you put on that line, it's Ben Cole Smith with with those two. But that that line's just, it's working right now. And I, I think it's, one of those things where it's great for McCarron, it's great for Tomasino, it's great for the entire team. And if you're Tomasino, this has got to be just a, a great boost for your confidence, knowing that it was rough. You, I mean, you're probably looking at going back to Milwaukee that kept you up here. And now you're going out and you're playing some of the best hockey you've played in the NHL. If you would have told me that about a third of the way through the season, we'd be talking about the Cole Smith, Michael McCarron, Philip Tomasino line playing really <laughs> well together, I probably would have laughed at you. And the fact that Cole Smith and Michael McCarron both have a multi-goal game this year. <laughs> Cole Smith has two multi-goal games. <laughs> yeah. Cole Smith just coming out of nowhere. I, I He scores them I, in bunches, Michael. <laughs> yeah. So does Yakov Trenin. I wrote a story about that last week or a week and a half ago, whenever it is. Like this this team had they have players that get streaky. Not not like in a Craig Smith way where you go on a streak of four or five games and then you're just cold for 30 games. Like they have guys that, that play really well. And then for like five, six, seven games, they get really hot. We're seeing it with Cole Smith, McCarron, Trennan. And that's what you want out of your bottom six. Like, you know, Forsberg and O'Reilly are going to produce. You know, Nyquist is going to produce. You need guys like Trennan and Cole Smith to go out there and have the games they've been having over the last two weeks. 
Yeah, all this without Novak and Glass too, which is which is uh, important because those are two. Which is crazy considering that those are yeah. two of the top three forwards and arguably two yeah. two of the the better scoring forwards that they have. Like, how much better is this team going to be when they come back? Well, there's certainly like if you're going to leave, it, it does appear though that he's figured out that Brunette has figured out that the, that the Nyquist Forsberg O'Reilly line needs to be the top line, right? Like that that needs to be together. Yeah, but it it does feel like that two of the three forwards that would be on the second line you are missing. Like I think Novak Glass and fill in the blank are are probably two of your next six forwards on the list. I mean, certainly Tom Thomas Novak was playing like that. The, the um, Novak Sherwood Evangelista yeah. line. I think you need to put that line back together when when Novak comes back because it was too good to 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 mess with that. And, and Cody Glass, the two games he filled in on that line, he looked pretty pretty well as uh, looked pretty good as well. But I mean. You got to you got to be happy with where this team's going once you get those two guys back with the forward depth that you well, already and, have. And and Yusuf Parsonen has not played up to his potential, even though he got on the score sheet against against Calgary. Like there's more in the tank for him too in terms of growth and and what he can offer. Yeah. So, but I, he's also looked he's also looked pretty good as the second line center. He's not scoring points, but that line is right. working really well. I mean, saw last night. I tweeted about it. He went behind the net right right before the McCarran second goal, and he like stiff armed the hell out of somebody and just knocked him to the ground. And like you can tell, he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. Andrew Burnett. When it comes to these young guys, there were I, I doubted Andrew Burnett. I'm not going to lie for the first two weeks. But he seems to have a, a, his finger on the pulse of how to handle them, and it's working really well. Well, he played. He got 25 shifts, played 17 minutes, and and had a 55 percent faceoff percentage win against Winnipeg. Now he doesn't do. You don't see. You know, no goals and assists since the Calgary game. But if you're winning faceoffs and you're out there on the ice that much, the coach trusts you. Okay, or yeah. at least he's beginning to. And again, you get you get benched or you get moved down the lineup. And this is what we're going to learn about Burnett is that there are going to be there are complicated decisions to be made about the defense pairings right now. There's going to be some decisions he's going to have to make about this forwards once Glass and Novak come back. And what 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 we're seeing, I think, as the system begins to take root, is are you capable of pulling the right levers with the right players to motivate them with the right sort of tactics? And moving Parson down the lineup and being like, look, dude, we need more out of you defensively or whatever, you know, like that is absolutely what we're seeing right now. And for now, at the time of this <laughs> taping, it, it, it's it's working. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, as some of these guys come back healthy and, and as the system gets along. So uh, if you want to watch the games, of course, make sure you swing by Jaspers uh, over there on West and the next evolution of the sports bar. Make sure you hang out uh, free parking. The menu is spectacular. They got bingo nights every other Thursday night. So you can go watch the Preds, play bingo, park for free, get great, great drink specials, an elite burger, uh, excellent fries. The flatbreads are spectacular. Uh, they got a, a menu item called the shrimp and goodies, which is like a spicy shrimp potato salad. It is spectacular. Uh, it's what I order almost every time. Uh, it is fantastic. The appetizers are great. The shareables, as they say, they also can cater a watch party. So if you got an SEC championship game watch party, perhaps coming up uh, this weekend and you want to cater them, uh, make sure you check out the website there, jaspers.restaurant. They'll check. They'll take care of you. We've done it for uh, multiple different football games before. It is perfect for kids and adults. So if you got a party, you know, 8, 10, 12, 20 people, doesn't matter with kids, without kids, they'll take care of you. So make sure you swing by Jasper's uh, and make sure you check out the website. The menu is great and constantly, constantly 
uh, evolving. I've actually um, got a, a funny Jasper's related story real quick. If you oh, want please. To oh my God. I've been waiting a year for this, Michael. Thank you. I, I didn't actually go to Jasper's, but the moral of the story is go to Jasper's <laughs> once we get there. Um, okay, so okay. I, I actually had a craving for their street corn flatbread, which I had last time I went and I didn't have time to, because I live in Hendersonville now, I didn't have time to, to drive out there. So I was like, you know what? I live right down the road from, from Kroger. I'm going to go make my own. I looked it up on the, on the website, got all the ingredients, went home, made it. And it was garbage. It was not good. <laughs> It, it it just it, it wasn't good and I think, I think if i hadn't had the original one from jasper's it probably would have been fine but it wasn't so moral of the story just just go to jasper's don't try to make it at home it's not it's not it's not as good so i was you, very disappointed in myself you tried to do the thing that the professional chef does at, at home i do I admire did. your ambition i actually pride myself i am a really good cook my specialty is usually italian food because my family okay. is italian but mm-hmm. i tried i tried to recreate the jasper's flatbread and i failed i should have just went to jasper's <laughs> Uh, moral of the story: Absolutely, uh, go to Jasper's. Okay, any other players? We talked. We touched on Trennan. We touched on uh, Gus Nyquist. We touched on Tomasino. What do you think's going on with Fabro? What do you think's going on there? You know, that's a good question. I wish I had an answer because I don't. <laughs> I don't really understand why he's been scratched the last couple games. If you, if you, okay, like there's a ton of analytics websites out there. The ones that are free that I, that I enjoy money puck is probably my favorite one. If you go on there and you look up some stats, statistically the Yossi Fabro pairing was up until last night, which now lows on and carry is their best defensive pairing, according to expected goals. Mm. But Yossi and Fabro was the best defensive pairing that the, this team had this entire season. Fabro has played really well. Yeah, he he leads the team in defensive zone turnovers, which is kind of a, a big no no. I understand that, but you think you think uh, yeah, everything else across the board though, he's been really he's played really well, and I just I just don't understand why you would scratch him. Like, and look, you're going with seven D. I understand that you want to ease Luke Shen back into it, but if Luke Shen isn't fully ready to jump back into the throws of a game, then why why mess around? Why bring him back now? Just just let him heal, rest up, and bring him back when he can go out there and play a full fifteen to twenty minutes. Fabro ha- Fabro hasn't played bad enough to warrant being a healthy scratch, in my opinion. And uh, if we're being completely honest, out of all the all the defensemen this team ha- this team has this year that have played in games, like I feel like uh, Tyson Berry has been probably the weakest link out of all of them. I think Alex Carrier has had moments here or there, but I think Tyson Berry has been the one I've, I'm, I'm the least impressed with. Obviously, just the name power and the fact that he is a pretty big trade ship if they do decide to move him any time between now and March. But but I just don't understand the Dante Fabro hate and. I don't know. I don't know if they're if they're planning on on trading him. I don't know if they're planning on this being a Tomasino thing where they're going to sit him for a few games and hope the message sinks in. I, I don't. I don't know what what like going forward. If you if you're not Andrew Burnett said last night that they're not going to keep playing seventy. Like this is just kind of an experiment to to see how it goes, just because right. they can't they can't be a four down every game. But if you put Luke Shen back into the lineup and you're and you have Dante Fabro sitting like. You can't send him to the AHL. What are you going to do? Just have him sitting on the bench? The only logical thing would be to, in my opinion, would be to trade him and try to get something for him. I just, I don't know what the what the long-term future is for Fabro. And I hate it because he's actually playing really well this year. And I feel like he gets a lot of unnecessary hate because he's actually a pretty good young defenseman. Well, he's playing more than a minute per game, more than Lozon. He and, you know, Barry is um, right behind Carrier, which is behind McDonough and Yossi in terms of minutes. I'm curious. So, so Delgado's played five games now. Stasny's played five games. Is your perspective on the depth different at all? Having watched those two guys for for ten total games, knowing that they could have one of these pieces, whether it's Fabro or Carrier or Barry as a trade chip, 
at the deadline and obviously, you know, Luke Shen back fully healthy potentially. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to like the depth. You just you just kind of feel bad for the way things shake out right now. And I would even throw Jake Livingstone in there too, because Livingstone, um, uh, drawing a blank. The guys you get Delgaizo and Stastny, all three of those guys are waiver exempt. So you can call them up, send them back down pretty much at will. You don't have to worry about it. You can't do that with Fabro. So either he's playing or he's sitting on the bench. Those are pretty much the only two options. And the same thing with Carrier. And Carrier and Lozon have played so well together, you almost kind of don't want to mess with that kind of chemistry. Right. And Luke Shen was one of your prized, you know, off-season free agent additions. Like, if he's healthy, you want to put him in there too. It just seems like Fabro's the odd man out. But if if they do end up trading Barry or Fabro or anybody else or whatever, like you have to you have to really admire the depth that they have. And I know we talked last season how they didn't really have a bona fide blue chip defensive prospect. That's why when they drafted Tanner Molendyke, it was like, oh, they finally have, you know, something the organization organization's been missing. But Spencer Stassi, when I did my pre or my uh, post draft prospect rankings, he was he was number 10 on there. And I think Del Gaizo is also really is a really fine defenseman. I think you have to take some solace knowing that you have two, even throw Livingstone in there, three NHL ready defensemen in the minor leagues that you can call up at any point if there is another injury or you do trade somebody. And and to piggyback off that, you mentioned Shen. Uh, honestly if you're big, every, everything in hockey is for now, right? Like every, like the system seems to be taking hold for now. Philip Forsberg is doing great for now. Everything in hockey is always for now because it's ups and downs and it's a long season, but for now, Barry Trotz's moves as a general manager are hard to argue with. Ryan O'Reilly is averaging tw- over 20 minutes a game for a forward. That's absurd. He's number two on the team. Uh, he is having on pace for a career season. Gus Nyquist, as we mentioned, already a nine point streak and is I think tied for third on the team in to- in total points. And Luke Shen, we just don't know. I think we all kind of thought maybe that was an overvalued signing. That might be the worst contract of the group. But for now, the Nyquist and O'Reilly contracts look excellent if they can even maintain 75% of this pace the rest of the year. It's excellent. Um and then obviously the biggest way we're going to evaluate him is Andrew Burnett as the higher. But for now they are above 500 in the playoffs and the free agent signings are doing great. So for now, you've got to say Barry Trotz, general manager year one for now, a successful first couple of months to the season. Yeah. I mean, I know when, when they signed O'Reilly and Nyquist, there were some people complaining about the the term of the contract, how much money they were getting and the fact that they were both 32, 33, somewhere in there, uh, which as a 35 year old, I'm not sure how, uh, how I should take that, but the fact that you that Barry Trotz had a plan for this team, he went out and he got the guys that he knew could carry this out. And I think that's something that, that was important too. We talk about Brunette's system. There, there's more to what Andrew Brunette's doing than just implementing a new system. He needed to have a culture. He needed to have players that that could, when they were going through a four-game losing streak, that could rally the troops and come back and come out with a six-game win streak. Ryan O'Reilly and Nyquist are those guys. And you're you're looking at a team with Philip Forsberg and Roman Yossi. The, the potential of Evangelista and Tomasino and, and just how good Novak's playing. And you look at O'Reilly and Nyquist are your second and third leading scorers on the team. Luke Shen, you obviously, you know, missing the 18 games, that kind of put a damper on what you expect from him. And the first game certainly wasn't a good first impression, but he has been better the last two games. So like you said, for right now, these look like really good signings. And, and the good thing about O'Reilly and Nyquist is if it goes south at any point this season or next season, they're still very flippable contracts at the trade deadline too. So you're not really married to them for any longer than you want to be. But right now they're, they're, they're paying off in spades. Ryan O'Reilly is really 
For, Philip Forsberg has needed a center like Ryan O'Reilly to really unlock his potential. And that's no disrespect to Ryan Johansson. Like I love Ryan Johansson. Great guy. Amazing player. I feel like he, I always felt like he was more tailored to being a one B or a two center than being the guy. And look, Forsberg had a lot of success playing with, with Ryan Johansson, but Ryan O'Reilly, I think we're seeing is the kind of player that is, is, is what Philip Forsberg has really needed to unlock his scoring potential. He had that one great season, but that was about it. And, that, and now we're kind of seeing what Forsberg can really do with a true number one set playing next to a true number one center. And even Nyquist, there were fans that were saying like, oh, why are you going out and signing a third line winger for that much money? Like Andrew Burnett put him on the top line and it's working. So, well, and there's no way I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pulling up Ryan Johansson right now. To me, there's like this, it's the shift in shift out like professionalism and grind. And it's not to suggest that Ryan Johansson didn't have some of that, but to your point, like, I, I don't know. It's this. There's no way. There were moments when, and, and we're going to talk about this in a second. A previous coach um, was like messing with Johansson's ice time. Right, his last few years here: 15 minutes, 16 minutes, 16 minutes, 17 minutes. He played 19 minutes per game back in 2019. I mean, O'Reilly is significantly older when Johansson was 26 playing that many minutes, and he's 32 playing over yeah. 20 minutes a game. So. I think it's the trust factor, and I'll, honestly, I'm okay if a, if a fan says, "Well, can Ryan O'Reilly maintain that pace?" I I think he will see. <laughs> we're gonna yeah. we're gonna we're gonna find out. Um, but I, I agree, it's hard to not look at what Barry Trotz has done so far. Again, for now, and just say, "Look, everything so far has worked out." I think the Luke Shen contract, I I think, is the is the worst of the group, and I think we said that in the summertime, and he has missed a bunch of times. So like, he's going to have to earn back some of that contract, but for now, all those moves. Good. Uh, speaking of former coaches, couple of national notes here. And, and by the way, UC Saros, Kevin and Lincoln in both over 90% save percentage. Now Saros playing better Lincoln and pretty solid as well. So right now I think we can start to say, you know, goaltending still going to be a strength for this team. Long-term. It was sort of a short-term uh, start to the season, as we've seen from UC Saros. Something um, else, real quick, we haven't mentioned the Predators also now in the second wild card spot. I've mentioned it three times. I said they're in the wild card. I've said it. Oh, I guess I just must not have been listening. Oh, thanks. Thanks for listening and paying attention to the show. Sorry. I do appreciate it. Um, <laughs> no, the, look, if you're evaluating Barry Trotz, the, the sentence right now you use is all the free agent signings have been excellent. Andrew Burnett's system, the coach that he handpicked, has been solid so far. He's he's unlocked Philip Forsberg. The goaltending hasn't even been great. They've been injured and they're in the wild card. That's that's your Barry Trotz analysis right now through the first two months of the season. Of, I think of, it's, his, of his career. I think it's a really good point, too, is they're doing all of this and the goaltending, Saros in particular, hasn't even been what he's capable of. Bingo. Bingo. Um, okay. So a couple of national notes here first before we get to the the funny slash interesting slash can't wait to see what happens at the arena thing. Um Patrick Kane, $2.75 million signed with the, the Detroit Red Wings. Is that a number you would have considered if you're the Preds? That's that's Luke Shen money. <laughs> For a 30-something-year-old Patrick Kane that's coming off of hip resurfacing surgery, I wouldn't risk it, but, I mean, I could see the upside. He he wasn't terrible last year, and he actually had a pretty good, a decent season before that, so... But, the, but I think the thing with him is he's probably going to come in expecting a top six role. And I don't think Patrick Kane is a top six forward in this in on this roster. So oh, I don't know about that. If he's fully healthy, I think he's clearly a top six forward. But I, I have trouble rooting for Patrick Kane, the person. So, so, so I'm glad he went somewhere else. But I thought yeah. that 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 price point is awfully low 
for a guy of his skill, even at that age and coming off that injury. I just, I looked at that number and I was like, man, I, I never thought there'd be a number where I'd be like, yeah, I think we should have considered it, but I think they should have considered it at that price point. Just saying. I Could you imagine what the backlash would be if the, if the Predators actually signed Patrick Kane? I, I can, and it would have been great for content. <laughs> uh, just like what's going to happen on Thursday when Minnesota comes to town. Dean Evison, no longer the coach. John Hines, your head coach of the Minnesota Wild, will be in the building on Thursday night. Got his first win, by the way, uh, a couple of days ago, a couple of nights ago, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, I, I guess since the Preds are playing very well, maybe he gets a positive response or sort of like a, eh, thanks for your time. Glad we got our guy now because they're playing well. If the Preds were playing poorly, like, what do you think the reaction is? Like, how do fans... Is it too soon to ask the fans to be rational towards John Hines? Because I kind of I kind of feel bad. <laughs> oh, it him. absolutely is. Well, you're talking about a fan base that was sitting in the stands chanting fire Hines while he's sitting on the bench coaching just, the team during games. I, I don't feel bad for him and his family making millions of dollars and buyout money and millions of dollars to coach hockey. I don't I don't feel bad for yeah. any coach, but I do kind of there is part of me. that's like, oh, I think he might get it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and look, that's that's one of the things about sports that people have yet to figure out. Like there's a person on the other side of what's going on. So as much as I talk crap about people like Yannick Weber and Cole Smith, I realize that there are actually people on the other side of what's going on on the ice, just like John Hines. As a person, I really like John Hines talking to him. He's really nice. I just didn't think he was the right coach for this team. And I think we're seeing now that that was a correct evaluation. I I wish him well. I, I hope that he has success with the wild. I, I don't know. Like, look, it's not, it's not personal yeah. to, an, to analyze a coach or a player. Honestly, it can be personal. If fans start to treat, does that make sense? Like it's, I don't know. It's, it's, if you are like, Hey, John Hines, I don't think you were the right coach for the job. You're a, this is a fan talking, right? A, a fan in the stands that pays good money for season tickets and says, look, I'm tired of John Hines. It's time to move on. It's not personal. Right. Like that's that's, I think, the appropriate response. I think sports are personal inherently and fans are have a tough time doing removing that. Yeah. But if you're, but if you're I, I just don't think there should be any like ill will towards the guy. Like, yeah, like, like you said, look, he's a, he's, he's, a, he's a pretty high quality dude, to be honest. Yeah, he, he knows he 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 delivered three playoff wins in four seasons. Like he knows that he did not do the job he was hired. Right. I don't think I don't think he's sitting there losing any sleep over the fact that the Predators fans don't like him. It is what it is like. This is part of hockey. This is this is what the third head coaching job he's he's gotten in the NHL now. Like he knows how the business goes. I, I did, but back to your earlier question. Like I think the fans boo the hell out of him. They're they're still very salty. Oh yeah, they're very salty <laughs> and bitter about it. I posted the story about John Hines coming back, and I'm like, oh, he's returning to Nashville quicker than we thought. And the story about the Wild hiring him and the people that were laughing at the story with the laughing emojis on Facebook and responding with like, I, I think I tweeted out yesterday that Barry Trotz said that because. Uh, Hines was still technically under contract with the Predators. Like the Wild had to ask permission to hire him, and he was like, "I gave it to him and stuff." And there were fans that were like, <laughs> "Like, was Barry Trotz offering him money to take John Hines away?" And so, like, the, the fan base still very much does not like John Hines. I think you give them by the end of the season, they'll probably be over it. But I think the wounds are still a little fresh for them because they they were told this guy was going to come in and be better than Peter Laviolette, and he wasn't. I I am now I am utterly fascinated with what happens because I think they're going to be. I think Nashville stays classy. I think they stay classy. I think they're kind of like that's like a it's like it's like a soft senior senior tour golf clap. 
I think like, what hey, it'll be hey, John. is hey, it'll man, be a mix you? of cheers and booze, but the booze you're going to hear more. They're going to outweigh the cheers. That's what that's right. what I think it'll be. How about how about one Mexican uh, street corn flatbread gamble? I think because they're playing well right now and they love everybody loves Barry Trotz and Barry Trotz picked his guy and his guy's system seems to be working. I think there's I think everyone's kind of like, oh, hey, man, congrats on the gig. Welcome back to town. Unless I think, Barry I, I think Nashville could be unless Barry Trotz is personally standing next to John Hines when he's introduced <laughs> on Thursday night. I don't think you're going to hear more cheers than booze. I think I think Nashville will stay classy. I have more faith in you, Nashville Predators fans, than Michael Gallagher does at MG Sports underscore. He thinks you guys are a bunch of unclassy broads. They're going to boo a, a, I'm, a guy. I'm saying this based off a guy of on my the mention. way out the door. I'm literally saying this based off of my mention. So I have tangible evidence that this is no, like what no, I believe is going to happen. No, you're wrong on that part because basing reality off what's on Elon sewer is a is a bad decision on your part. It's a bad decision. Don't do it. Real human beings are going to be in the stands looking at another real human being, not on Twitter, not where you can be in your mom's basement. You can say a bunch of mean shit on your keyboard and not get any repercussions. You're going to be standing there in the building and you're going to be looking at a human being. That's a decent human being. That's a good guy. Didn't do the job for you. Lost his job. Fine. But he's a good guy. And I'm willing to bet you people in the building are going to go. All right. We're Nashville. We're pretty cool. We're pretty chill. We're not going to we're not going to give it to you too hard. We'll 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 let this one slide. Like if or, they boo if they boo John Hines louder than they boo Alexander Rattleoff, you're all dead to me. You're all dead. I don't, to me. I don't think they're gonna boo him more than Rattleoff or Suit or anyone like that. But I, I don't think he's gonna get a warm reception like everyone seems to think he will. That I, I could be wrong. Who knows? I think it'll be apathy, indifference. I think it'll just be like they'll be like John Hines, welcome back, and people are gonna be like, yeah. Plot twist: <laughs> they they announce him and then it's just quiet, deafening Mon- montage video. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know what the John Hines tribute video is going to look like. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, though, they do tribute videos to players they've cut and traded. Like they they paid Ryan Johansson to go away and then gave him a, a tribute video. That's worse than firing John Hines. If you think about it, right? Like we don't <laughs> want you so much around here that we're going to pay you money to go away. I know that there's a buyout involved in a coach, but like it's different when it's a player and it's that much money and it affects your salary cap. That's so, what was funny when I was listening to radio last night because Barry Trotz is talking about John Hines coming back and he was talking him up like he's the second coming. And then Jared was just like, didn't, yeah, you, didn't you just fire this guy? Like, <laughs> Did he say that? Yeah, he was like, you just fired this guy. Why are you talking him up? Wait, and, wait, he said that. Wait, Jared said that to Barry Trotz? Yeah. Oh, God bless He, he said something like, he's like, Barry, you've got to be the classiest person I know because you fired this guy and then you're talking about how great he is. And then Barry basically... I, Barry, Barry doesn't like talking bad about anybody. So rarely are you going to get him saying anything negative about someone. But he he it was funny because he basically did kind of talk up John Hines like he was the second coming. And then it was just amusing because like you fired the guy. And then Barry's like, I just wanted a fresh voice. Like Stillman, Stillman is many things. Scared ain't one of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, man. Uh, What do you guys got at uh, Nashville Hockey now? Right up right now and coming up soon. Yeah. So on the website right now, we have. Uh, post game video from the locker room. Uh, I think we have five players and Andrew Burnett talking about last night's win. Got Forsberg and Michael McCarron talking about, you know, McCarron. Robbie Stanley asked him if he was thinking hat trick once he scored his second goal. And he was like, oh, of course I was. And all the, all the post game stuff that the fans don't get to see that we get to enjoy. The videos are up there. We have the plus minus story where we have a couple good things and bad things. Uh, we talk about UC Saros and Phil Tomasino and kind of the loosey goosey way that they were playing in the defensive end last night. Um, and then we'll have a, a Nashville hockey now plus story up tomorrow. 
which listening to this, it'll be Thursday. Um, there's a, a forward in the KHL. I don't want to say the name and spoil it. Uh, there's a forward in the KHL who's tearing it up. He's been through the draft three times and no one picked him. And he's catching the attention of a lot of NHL scouts. Uh, we confirmed that the Predators have actually talked to him. And mm. I don't know if there's any traction there, but it's something to keep an eye on. That will be up on Thursday on NashvilleHockeyNow.com. It will be a subscriber-only story. So go go to the website, get a subscription. If you use the code Michael10, that takes $10 off of the yearly subscription. So basically, you're getting a yearly subscription for, for 30 bucks. That's a tank of gas. There you go. There you go. And then uh, for less than that, you can park at Jasper's. Zero dollars to park at Jasper's. So go down there to Jasper's. Watch the games. Of course, you got great drink specials, uh, home and road games, all kinds of happy hours, all kinds of bingo nights, all kinds of great stuff. So uh, go on down to Jasper's and watch your Nashville Predators streaking, baby. They are streaking right now. Uh, enjoy it while it is lasting for now. And let's see if this whole thing can keep going. Uh, this is the roller coaster we're on this year. Uh, and there's some positive signs tangible positive growth maturity that you could take from the last week and a half of action so great thanksgiving holiday for everybody out there wearing gold that is for sure mg sports underscores where you can follow him on twitter.com michael gallagher everybody you can get to me braden gall at braden gall do appreciate you guys for listening uh and for sharing the show rating reviewing subscribing all that great stuff we do appreciate it other than that enjoy some hockey you got four games you got minnesota the rangers so you got lobby you got heinz and lobby coming back in yeah. back-to-back games how did I, how did I, how do we just now mention that? Uh, and then of course at Buffalo and at Chicago. So we got four games to discuss next week with you guys. Can't wait to talk. We'll see what they do. Six games in a row. Welcome back. Heinz and Lavi. <laughs> Welcome back for Michael Gallagher. I'm Braden Gall. Thank you for listening. This has been the gold standard here on the 440 sports network.